Larry, today we tackle a dreaded topic. Okay. Money. Oh. And the link between money and happiness. And money and happiness and jealousy. <laughs> and money and happiness and jealousy and competition. <laughs> and money and... Well, you get the idea. Money. I got the idea. It's complicated, right? Isn't it the center of all evil or something? But we need it. And that's why we have these J-O-Bs, right? Here was an interesting study. This was one where respondents were asked, would you rather earn $50,000 a year while other people make 25000 or would you rather earn $100,000 a year while other people get 250000 Oh, my gosh. Liz, this is easy. What do you think? Uh, I will take the 100000 versus the 50000 for myself. <laughs> You just want more money. I mean, this is easy math. It's twice okay, as well, much. Okay, well, apparently it's not that easy for most people because the stunning results were that the majority of people select the first option because they would rather make twice as much as others, even if that meant earning half as much as they could otherwise have. Oh, my God. It's just completely irrational, I right? I was going to say, that's the word. It's totally irrational. And that's the thing. There's so much about money in the workplace, and almost all of it is super irrational. Okay. And- Part of the money conundrum is that it's not just about what you need and want, right? You, but for many of us, it's also relative to what other people around us get. Yeah. So happiness becomes comparative. Yeah, I don't want to lose. You know, if they get it, then I want that too. And then there was another Princeton study that found that when people make less than their coworkers and they know about it, they quickly become disgruntled, unhappy, and are more likely to look for a new job. Mm-hmm. But when people find they're making more than their coworkers, do they feel an increase in happiness or satisfaction? They don't. They do not. In these situations now, I find myself quoting you, Larry Seal, mm. quoting Samuel Clemens. Remember? I do remember. It, uh, the quote, I believe, is, comparison is the thief of joy. Right. That really, really stuck with me. So now my question is, though, if comparison is a thief of joy... What do I do about that? Because there are winners and losers out there in the working world, and I want to win. Because that's the goal, right? right. Winning? No? <laughs> From Wondery, this is I Hate My Boss, Workplace Drama, Comedic Relief. I'm Liz Dolan. And I'm Larry Seal. On today's show, we'll be digging into that notion about comparison being the thief of joy. And how, even if it's true, it shouldn't stop you from negotiating the salary that you deserve. So, Larry, I know you provide a lot of coaching to a lot of people about mm -hmm. all kinds of negotiations in the workplace. What are your biggest tips for negotiating raises, bonuses, all of the above? Sure. Here's a couple of things. Everybody's great at giving advice to everybody else about how to ask for a raise. People freak out when it's them asking for what they want. Yeah. Like, this is something I want. It's hard to take a hard stand about what you want for a lot of people. If you put it out there and say, this is a bar I want to meet, and you don't meet it, it can feel really disappointing. So yeah. both of those show up for people. So number one, understand if it's a raise or a bonus exactly the number that will make you feel thrilled and fulfilled to walk in that door every day. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, what is that number? You don't want to ask for not that number. I know that seems really obvious, but people get to that moment 
and they shy away from it and they drop it way down all oh, the time. Oh, they ask for too little. Yeah. They're yes. walking in and they're going to ask. Okay, that sounds familiar. They're going to ask for 100 <laughs> and they walk in and they I go, you I've know what? That. I'd be all right with 83. Yeah, no! Yeah. So, but how do you know what that number is? Because some of that might just be comparative. Like you sure. hear the person in the next cube got a raise and all of a sudden that's your magic number. So that is one of my tips, which is these days it's pretty easy to do your homework about what your job and people with your sort of experience are making, potentially within your company, but certainly in a broader community of people who do what you do on Glassdoor and other mm-hmm. places. It's pretty easy to find out that information. So you don't want to go in with something that's absolutely ridiculous. This is why I think it's so great to work hard. You and I have talked about the fact that you, you said when you were a boss, you would bend over backwards for a high performer yes, to make them absolutely. happy. Right? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So if you're a high performer, these conversations are a lot nicer because you can walk in and you can say, I'm really proud of the work I've done over the last two years or whatever the time is. And I often recommend you tie it to something larger than just your work, how it contributes to us serving our customers or supporting a larger company goal. And you make a direct ask. I've been thinking a lot about this and I want your support for a $10,000 raise to my base salary. Mm -hmm. So it's crystal clear. I'm looking you right in the eye and I'm asking for what I want. I'll bet people have a funny feeling in their stomach for some people as they think about actually saying this. It's scary. Yeah, it's very scary. And everything you read about this process or everything I've ever experienced, it's all about going in there with confidence. Yep. And I had kind of a little epiphany yesterday when I was thinking about answering this question Mm -hmm. today because I realized exactly what you just said. If I'm the boss... If someone who is a high performer comes in to me and they make a clear case for something and they are really valuable, I will move heaven and earth to make that happen. Absolutely. So then how come whenever I was that person coming into the not me, I never had the confidence that I had that kind of leverage? That's what you need. You need to really understand if you are a high performer and really making a big contribution. And if you are, then really stand up for yourself. Yeah. And look, there is a difference between asking for what you believe you're worth and being arrogant about what you're worth. That's why I say pick a number that is going to make you feel realistically thrilled at the end of the day. You know what? I'd be thrilled with making another 10,000 or 5,000 or 2,000, whatever it is. And by the way, that might relate to what some other people around you are getting paid. That's okay. That's fair game. But you've got to know what you want and you've got to practice that opening line so that you're confident in your ask. And I'm telling you, I do this with senior executives who've done this many, many times and have hundreds or thousands of people working for them. They get scared too. Mm -hmm. Practice it 20 times times. Yeah. Say it out loud and you have to say the number. You have to say the number. You have to say the number. I have been thinking about this a lot. It matters to me, Liz. I like my job and I would like to get your support for this. All right. Let me stop you with there because- How's that feel on your side? I get a pain in my stomach even hearing you say that (laughs) because- Here's what I'm afraid of whenever I've tried to have that conversation with a boss in the past. I'm afraid that the answer just right there in the moment is going to be no. Mm -hmm. Then where do you go? go? Sure. Then you're like humiliated. 
right? Mm. They, this is the fear that I think sure. a lot of people work up about even having this conversation. Sure. And then it's where now you're not really negotiating. Now you're arguing. And that feels a lot different. Yeah. And so the fear of no is something that people sure. need to get over. I've had this conversation with friends and they're like, well, yeah, well, so what? Like, what's the worst that could happen? They say no. They're not going to shoot you. Right. They're just they're just going to say no. Right. I get not wanting to hear that someone else doesn't support you or doesn't feel like you're as valuable as you think you are. I yeah. get that that can be painful. This is not about that. This is about you asking for what you want in a place where you spend an enormous amount of time. You've got to make it clear that your commitment and your satisfaction are good and you want to continue that and therefore you need this number. And what you're intimating is if you don't get that number, your satisfaction is going to decline. And if you are a high performer, that screams danger for the manager. Oh my God. And I, it feels risky, right? I'm sweating. I'm but sweating. Liz, remember your friend who was the CEO who looked at her executives and said, oh my God, I'm paying all my men more? Yes. Because, because they, they had all asked. come in and asked for more. Right. I say that to people all the time. If you don't ask, you don't get. I'm just confessing that I hate asking. I want. I like the getting. I don't like the asking. It, there's just so much discomfort. It feels very emotional, yeah. especially, well, obviously it's emotional. Mm -hmm. And you have to try to be somewhat dispassionate about this. And so it's a hard thing to deliver. So you're right. Practice, practice, practice. Figure out what your pitch is and then say exactly what you want to say yep. and stop talking and let them react. Precisely. I know, Larry. <laughs> I know you're right. I know. It's super hard. It's hard. This is an emotional topic. It is such an integral part of how most of us, certainly in this country, and this culture, value ourselves. Yeah. And see ourselves. And it can be tough to ask Think about that number that you're going to be really happy with. Sanity check it. Practice what you're going to say. Be really clear about your ask. You will walk out of there and be high-fiving yourself because you're like, I did it. I did it. Mm -hmm. Another thing I want to say is I've occasionally heard with friends of mine or or people that I've worked with, people that say, well, it's not really about the money for me. It's about the satisfaction and the, you know, my boss really trusts me and they really think I'm great and I'm good. I used to buy that, but I've seen the way the world really works. Mm -hmm. And so now I kind of say to those people, it's not an either or situation. No, exactly. You don't have to either have satisfaction or go in and ask for a raise. Actually, those two things should be linked in your mind because if they think you're so great and it's a, such a great job that you're enjoying doing, you want to make sure you're being appropriately paid. You bet. But people kind of hang back and think that somehow they'll be damaging their relationship with their boss if they go in and ask for this. And now I know everyone else is asking. I didn't used to know that. I this used is to important think, to listen to, folks. Yes. They are not going to hate you for asking I mean, you. don't be stupid. Yeah. Do a little research. And but, don't ask every three months. Right, exactly. You know, but you need to be enough of a squeaky wheel so that they know you know what you're worth to them. And don't decide that you don't want to have that negotiation, right. that it's it's not about the money for you. It's about the satisfaction. It's always about the money a little bit.
Right. Joining us now is Jonathan Fields. He's the author of How to Live a Good Life and the host of the Good Life Project podcast. Jonathan, today's show is all about happiness and satisfaction and money and what people want out of life. So what do you think motivates people the most, Jonathan? Is it the fame and glory thing? Is it day-to-day satisfaction? Day in, day out, what makes people feel like, okay, I got through today in a very satisfying kind of way? What we see in any job is that the experience of any form of progress on a day-to-day basis can be a really powerful motivator to keep doing the work you're doing. And that can come in the form of if you're working on a project and it's being moved forward. If you know that there is opportunity for growth within your organization and you're getting a little bit closer every day. And even if you're doing this thing where you're showing up every day and it's not the thing that you want to be doing, knowing that you're doing it in service of something bigger can help make it um, something that's more effective. You know, Jonathan, I was having a conversation with Cameron, our producer, and we were talking about the fact that we felt lucky because when we came out of school, we actually didn't have a grand sense of what it is we wanted to do. We just knew we needed to go to work. And so we kind of ebbed and flowed with what happened and we really had our minds open and it led us to things that we found more satisfying. And we were talking about people that we know that I know exactly what I wanna do from the time I'm 17. And then they look up 10 or 12 years later and it's no longer doing it for them. And I guess I wouldn't expect a 17 year old to be able to decide. To be in a position to make that yeah, decision, exactly. Yeah. How, how do you look at that? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, we look at those people as sort of the exemplars of what it should be. And it just doesn't happen that way, or with rare exception. You know, in my experience, maybe 1%, 2% of the people find that thing and they stay with it for life. But the reality is, we don't know ourselves well enough in our younger years to understand what that thing may be. And then even when we find it, it may be our thing for the next decade. And then there may be another thing for right. the next decade. And that's actually okay. You know, one of the questions I get asked fairly often is, you know, what would I tell my 20-something self? It wouldn't be to commit to a career that I think I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Right. It would be to use that time to run a series of experiments to figure out the intersection between, A, who I am and what matters to me, and B, where I can provide value in a career or in a job. Um, where is the sweet spot between those two different things? I think... One of the huge misses is that we go out and the first thing that we look for is a job. And I get that, especially if you have student loan and you have debt that has to be serviced. And I think this is one of the big struggles that we're seeing in a lot of people today is that we accumulate so much debt in the name of education that we end up having to take a job that is purely in service of that debt and that really limits our ability to really figure out who we are and what matters in a way that arms us with the self-knowledge to be able to then turn that out into the world. Well, Liz, and you and I have often talked about as we're talking to listeners that a lot of times people, especially when you're younger, you feel like if I make this decision, I'm on a road I can never get off of and I've committed for the rest of my life. And it feels that way, but it's so not true. Yeah. Well, Larry, let me ask you, and then I want to hear Jonathan, your answer to this too. What are the three or four most important questions people should ask themselves when they're thinking of like a big career change, getting off one path and getting onto another path. Yeah, I think the first question I ask is, what is the thing that is driving you to want to change? Because there's something that you are either moving away from or towards, and it may not be in the front of your head. It may feel like I'm leaving this job. But when you really start to dig in and say, what is it that you're looking for? Why is there a yearning to do something else? 
there's almost something down there, and dare we get into purpose and meaning, that's beginning to percolate inside of them, yeah. that's calling them to tap into a creative bone they haven't tapped into or to be of service in a different way. So I want to dig a bunch deeper and really find out what is it that you feel like you're moving towards. And Jonathan, how about you? Yeah, no, I love that. Um, that's a really great thing to think about. A couple things that pop into my mind are um, virtues and skills. So stuff I'm born with and stuff I got good at. Yeah, yeah. So, so your skills is what am I really exceptional at or capable of getting exceptional at? But I think there's a really, really important nuance there, which is we usually stop the question there. And then I think it's really important to actually go one step deeper and say, what was it that motivated me to get this good at it? Because if it was something external, if there was, you know, a parent or societal expectations or some other thing that kind of pushed you to a level where you got good at it, but the moment that thing goes away, you have zero interest in doing it anymore. Yep. That's a very different equation yeah. than if there was something intrinsically that was motivating, that was pulling you forward. Well, let, let me toss two questions back at you, because here's the thing that drives me nuts. Larry. It's called work. Mm -hmm. I don't expect it to make me really happy. What's your nickel answer to that? Yeah, you know, it's my parents, my grandfather, you know, that was where they, where they survived a war. There was no concept of, well, you know, the work must be meaningful. There's got to be a sense of purpose and joy and passion. Right. And I think that was passed down, you know, to a number of generations. And now we're seeing sort of like the coming generation saying, well, no, actually, we're not just here to do that. You know, there's something bigger. Yeah, I want it to matter. Yeah, I, I want something more. And the assumption that they're making is that they can have both, you yeah. know, and I think that's really unsettling to a generation that didn't come up with that assumption because they look at it as, you know, asking too much. Yeah. So I think it's a really good thing that we're having these provocations um, and sort of intergenerational conversations right now, because my sense is we're going to meet somewhere in the middle and realize work is sometimes going to be really hard. It's sometimes not going to be fun. It may take time and it may take intention, but I can create a blend of effort and intention that leaves me feeling both financially in a, in a really good position in life and filled up, you know, nourished on a deeper level. Yeah. But even having said that, could I really stay for a long time in a job that did not give me any sense of accomplishment? I know in the grand scheme of things, meaning and purpose is really important. But however, you could be working really hard, you know, in a job that you find important or satisfying, but you have constant financial struggle. Yeah. So you are not able to take care of your family the way you want to. You're just constantly plagued with worry. You have no health insurance. So yeah, it would be great if we could all have a lot of meaning and purpose, but sometimes we just need to get the J-O-B for the paycheck. Yeah. And that's, oh, that's totally okay. And for people who have to do that because their circumstances dictate it, I feel like, Part of our goal is to help people get the skills and the motivation they, they need to get themselves out of that situation. I've always been in a position where I could move on and find something else if I felt like I was stuck in a bad place. Sure. I mean, in my experience, it's really important to be open to taking a longer term perspective. You know, I'm willing to, to look out six months, a year, three years, five years, because I know that it's going to be worth it and that's what it'll take. And there's one other thing that I found to be critically important. You have to have some belief. It can even be the tiniest belief that this thing that you hope to achieve, this thing that you're working towards 
is possible. If it's there, it's a game changer. If it is, is not there, nothing you do will work. No other belief will work. Because if you don't believe, even the smallest amount, if there's not like a 1% crack in the door open to possibility, you simply won't take mm -hmm. action. There's nothing that will motivate you to actually take the consistent daily action over a long window of time to do the work needed to actually change a circumstance if on some level you don't believe it's possible. I like ending on the thought of hope, that people can right. imagine a future for themselves, they can work hard towards it, they imagine the possibility, and then if it takes a big leap of faith, they have the confidence to do that. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today on I Hate My Boss. I actually listened to the Good Life Project podcast episode all about leaps of faith, so <laughs> you inspired me. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. It's really been a lot of fun. Before moving on, we wanted to remind you that we're working on an episode about competition in the workplace. So if your boss frequently pits you and a colleague against each other, or if your coworkers are way too serious about outperforming those around them, we want to hear about it. We especially love it when we get those stories as a voicemail. You can always call us at 424-224-5711. If you couldn't write it down just now, don't worry. That number's in the episode notes. You can also send us your stories by email to IHateMyBoss at Wondery.com. Okay, Larry, now we're going to talk to someone who's in the studio with us who is having trouble balancing her passions for the kind of work she wants to do that feels like it has great meaning with her just need to get a paycheck. Sure. Her name is Erin. Erin, welcome to I Hate My Boss. Hi, Liz. Hi, Larry. <laughs> we're happy to have you here. Thanks. Great to be here. Tell us a little bit about your situation and where the struggle comes in, please. Well, I run into a, a problem a lot. I put myself in situations where I have a bad boss or just a bad working situation and I don't do anything about it. Mm. I worked for a jousting company. I did that for five years, but the person I worked for was an elitist chauvinist. <laughs> and then I worked for, well, I don't. Can I say Walmart? Yeah, you can say Walmart. I worked for Walmart for two years, and it was one a of large the retailer based in Bentonville. <laughs> oh, so. so you went from jousting to Walmart. That's the, the, <laughs> yeah. just the usual career path. <laughs> yeah, it's been a weird one. But I worked for Walmart for two years, and it's notorious for being a horrible, horrible working situation. Mine was no different. And again, now I'm working for a company that I love called Farm Fresh to You. It's based out of uh, the Cape Bay Valley. Okay. What do you like about this one in comparison to your last two? I like it because it's uh, very consumer-friendly. It's direct from the farms to your table. It's right. as close to um, my growing up as possible because I so, grew up in a farming community. So I'm hearing your connection to the mission and what the company does is really very satisfying to you. Is that Absolutely. So if you look at the jousting and you look at Walmart, why did you join them? I joined the jousting because I liked working at Renaissance Fairs. It was uh, a place sure. that I enjoyed. I was a squire, so I trained some horses and cleaned armor and got to stand on the field with a four-inch ring that a guy on a horse had to take out of my hand with a nine-foot pole. So that was always fun. I just <laughs> want to take a moment to recognize this is the first time we've had someone on our show, Larry, say, I was a squire. That makes me just so happy. You don't even know, Aaron. Professional squire. I did it for five years. We are trying to cover the whole range wow. of professions, and now we can check off professional squire. <laughs> So 
before you said you, you've now found a place that you really like, I want to understand the commonality between the first two, because you said you find yourself in places with bad bosses where you're not happy, but you don't do anything about it. So my question is, how do you think, reflecting and just thinking back, how do you think you got yourself in those places? Well, it was sort of a fluke. Okay. I liked acting and I liked the Ren Fair, so I figured I'll try this for a while. Sure. And kept at it because I like the community that's around Ren Fairs called Rennies. Sure. I consider myself a Rennie, people who use that as their main source of income. When I was working for um, the grocery line, I stayed because it was um, the one major store in my area when I stopped traveling around the country. Sure. So in the first one, you're really paying attention to, this is stuff I like. It's with a group of people I like. It's around a community that I'm really attached to. My guess is, I didn't hear you say anything about your boss, so my guess is who they were didn't really enter into it until all of a sudden you realized that was a really awful mix for you. I avoided joust camp a lot because when I was on the job, I was doing things that were intense and I did enjoy the work. I got to work with horses. I got to work with armor. I got to sew costumes and build equipment, mm -hmm. um, learn how to stage fight and do stunts. That sounds so awesome. Can I just say stage Aaron, fighting? I'm just I'm looking at her going, it's kind of cool. <laughs> and that was just the job. When I wasn't mm -hmm. in joust camp, I was running around the fair learning things from other people. I'm proficient in glass blowing and blacksmithing and old forms of uh, spinning and knitting, and I can uh, sing in five languages. So tell me how you got yourself in a place where you wouldn't speak up. I mean, th those were your words. I wouldn't speak up for myself. Why didn't you speak up? Well, Renfears are notorious for um, having a high turnover rate. People just right. can't hack being on the road. Sure. Because... Well, for five years, I lived out of a van, which doesn't appeal to a lot of people. And sure. it's where I wanted to stay. And the person I was working for at the time, even though he was kind of a jerk, it didn't matter because I wanted to stay. I was afraid of speaking up because this is the man who can say, OK, you're done. Go home. Sure. And I didn't want to lose that. Well, at the very beginning, Aaron, you sounded like you blame yourself for the fact that you've had some less than great bosses. And that's what I heard. I heard that, that you too. think somehow it's your fault. And part of it might be, part of it might be not being able to speak up for you, but part of it might be that there are a lot of poorly trained bosses out there in the world. You know, we're not down on bosses, but there are lots of reasons why you might not have a great working relationship with your boss, which doesn't entirely make it your fault. So stop blaming yourself for every every bad thing that went on. And I'm assuming there is no management track at Ren Fairs, you know, so, <laughs> the, the, so that your boss is not getting any management training anyway. So he's probably ill-equipped for some parts of his job and very well-equipped and great at other parts of his job. So that's really what you're encountering, as I hear you tell it. Not so much, I'm terrible at choosing bosses and it's all on me or he's a terrible boss. He's good at some things, bad at some things, not entirely surprising in an unconventional work environment. People often complain. They talk about the things they don't like. And, and that's OK. That's completely legit. But it has to be balanced with why you're there. What do you love? What do you get out of it? And sometimes you've got a job that 30 percent of it or 40 percent of it is pretty painful. But the other 60 percent is really cool and really good. Your face lights up when you talk about the jousting and the pottery and the speaking different stage languages. fighting. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I didn't hear anything about your Walmart job. I get the passion with the jousting Ren Faire gig. But then when you were at the big retailer, 
What did you like and not like about that? The only thing that I liked about that job was that I was working in the deli. I like working with food. I like talking to people, but I didn't like the management setup, even though they should have a better system for training their lower and upper management. So Mm. I ended up taking on the responsibility of a lot of minor training, of answering customer questions, of doing customer service, doing everything except ordering um, new stock Mm -hmm. and then getting hung for it. How so? Tell me about Um, that. Anytime uh, I would be direct or blunt with somebody who was doing something dangerous or doing something that was unhealthy and management heard about it, I would get a yellow card. Demerit? Demerit. Mm. Not a great mark on my record. Sure. And again, that situation of this is where my main income is. I can't lose my job in L.A. And when I decided to um, go back to college, the idea of, you know, taking less hours to do school was impossible to discuss Uh with anybody. Yeah. They did not want to accommodate that. They did not want to accommodate that. Can I make an observation that when you look at Renaissance Fair at one end of the spectrum and one of the biggest corporations in the world at the other end of the spectrum? Yeah, boy. It's very interesting to hear how joyful you were about the unconventional work environment, even though that had its challenges. And all of that joy got sucked away in the very conventional work environment. So here would be my piece of advice. Stay at the Ren Fair end of the spectrum. It doesn't have to be a Ren Fair. <laughs> but, you know, clearly you like unconventional work environments where people have fluid roles and you get to do a lot of different things. Even the part of your retailer job that you described that you liked was doing lots of different things. You know, the more conventional a job gets and the more corporatized the company is, the harder it's going to be for you to find that, Erin. So maybe the one you have now is sort of fitting a little bit more of that. The one I have now is actually kind of great. The only problem I have with this company is that they are restructuring in such a way that it makes it really hard for my boss to communicate certain information to to me within an appropriate time period. I find out the day before that I've got to do an event. Sure. So you can't plan your life. That's the work-life balance challenge. Yeah. Yeah. It's the communication that I have trouble with. And I see myself as a very blunt person. If I know you well enough, I will tell you that no, no, no. You're not allowed to leave the house with what you're wearing right now. You look absolutely ridiculous. Go change. God, that, this sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm in a professional relationship, yep. I don't know where that line is. Sure. And to speak in such a way that, how do I not get fired? <laughs> so, so look, the word blunt has an impact when you almost say the word. And, and I think you probably chose that word on purpose. When I think about expressing myself in the workplace, the phrase I like is gently direct. I want to be direct. I want to be honest, but I don't want to be blunt. I don't want to be cutting. I want to be gentle because I want to give that to them in a way they can hear it and do something with it. So that may mean I'm asking a question, right? Or I'm making an observation or a suggestion versus making a pronouncement or or something that feels judgmental toward them. And it can often keep them open. And perhaps that's something that you run into. I think it is. I have another observation I'd like to make. You have said so many times in this conversation already how fearful you are of getting fired. Like that is so top of mind for you all the time, Aaron. It seems to me unusually top of mind, that you're operating from a place of fear all the time in all of these jobs. Is that true? Do you really always worry about getting, you know, most people don't get fired most of the time. Generally, I do. I do worry about not getting new work a lot because the job market isn't very big. I'm an 
non-college student. Well, mm-hmm. I'm a college student now. But you're not. You don't I don't have, have, you don't have any kind degree of degree. Yet, sure. I don't have. I've got a lot of very unconventional work experience. Nothing that I can really put on a resume. I mean, it certainly is interesting in job interviews when it's like, why does it say Squire? <laughs> I can only imagine. I so, certainly understand your worries and your concerns. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. And yet, that's got to lead to some level of confidence, right, that is not as high as it should be, some level of anxiety, yes. which is higher than it should be, which makes sense. It would combine to, I don't speak up enough. I don't say what I need to say enough. Your choices in jobs have been... In my mind, they actually show a lot about you. They show a lot about passion. They show a lot about your care and concern. They show, and actually they show a lot of fearlessness because you're willing to do stuff most people wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, from me to you, I'm giving you a lot more credit for being strong and unconventional and kind of brave in your approach. You got to let it through in your yes, voice. Yes, I'm very brave. I sell fruits and veggies to people door to door. See, you're already and running yourself funny. down. Don't do that. Yeah, don't I'm with do Larry. That. You are braver than you are giving yourself credit for. And you should have more confidence in the life experience that you have, even if you do not have conventional like school or workplace experience. Yeah, I think you're a stronger person than you know. Thank you. Sit up straight, shoulders back, as my <laughs> grandmother used to say. You can do it. Be tall, be proud. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah. Good luck, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Before we wrap the show today, let's check back in with our friends at Pen and Pencil. Guess what time it is, Larry? It's annual bonus time. Oh, boy. Here we go. So I'm sure they've been listening to your sage advice. Lisa, our fearless leader. What's your game, Ivan? No one ever comes to my office, and I like it that way. Game? My game is gratitude, my dear Lisa. You're my valiant CEO. Mm-hmm. And none of this has to do with the fact that bonus season is upon us. Now, how could you think me so calculating? Of course not. I definitely won't remind you about my, to quote you, brilliant pitch to Hellman's. All right, Ivan. I know why you're here. But things have changed. We've got a new parent company and possibly new rules. You know how Germans run their businesses? They already think of Americans as overpaid and petty. Fair, but I have run a new business this year. Also, our friend Jonathan Penn is still the chairman, and he promised us that the best people will be taken care of. That's just merger talk, Ivan. Forgotten once the ink is dry. Well, then let's make it wet. Ew, gross. I'll do my best, but I won't promise anything. Jessica, has Ms. Rovin called yet? Not yet. Speak of the devil. Hey, I'm just a little nervous. I've really only emailed with Roven since the merger. Lisa, you've got this. Patching her through. Good morning, Ms. Roven. Actually, it is 4 p.m. German time. Good afternoon. How's your week going? My week has been adequate. Lisa, I wanted to discuss yearly bonuses. We get bonuses? I'm just joking. Very funny. After speaking with Chuck Stone, we've noticed there's a large disparity in pen and pencil employee bonuses. Well, Jonathan had a way of doing things that some would describe as old school. Well, we've decided that bonuses will be a fixed 10% of yearly salaries. For the support staff? For everyone. And to the show of good faith, we are sending a top-of-the-line cappuccino machine 
a frozen yogurt maker, and a toaster with over four places for bread. It's really quite remarkable. Oh, okay, great. So, how are things in Germany? Completely adequate. Goodbye. Mr. Penn, you're on with Lisa. Hello, Jonathan. How's your trip going? Lisa, have you been to Bhutan this time of year? No. I've been meditating for two days straight. I feel so in touch with the universe. Everything is connected from the tiniest bird to the most gigantic star. I've had so many epiphanies. You know what one of them was? I do not. We should be giving Ivan more money. He's been with us so long, he's a vital part of the pen and pencil sangha. That's Sanskrit for community. And you thought of this independently? Oh, well, I got an email from him saying hello while I was hanging Tibetan prayer flags this morning. And I'm sure that email had nothing to do with the timing of bonuses. Probably not. Speaking of those bonuses, Ivan made a 20% bonus last year. Can you make sure he gets more this year? The Sangha and all. Well, I just spoke with WW, and they want to give every employee just a 10% bonus this year. They are the controlling shareholders. <laughs> of course, of course. Our friends in Germany are part of our global Sangha as well. But uh, so is Ivan, so find a way to get him a little more, okay? How do you want me to do that? Just ask them, you know. Tell them how valuable Ivan is to our agency. How important it is that we take care of him. Okay. Oh, and do not tell them that this was my idea. Are you serious right now, Jonathan? Very serious. I don't want to disrupt the cosmic order of things with my presence. Oh, crap. Gotta go. Namaste. Thanks, Jonathan. Hey, Chuck. Lisa, close the door. Close the door. I'm indecent. What are you talking about? You're fully clothed. Are you kidding? I'm changing my socks. So if you don't want a sexual harassment case on your hands, I'll thank you to give me some privacy. Okay, Chuck, don't worry. I didn't see your socks. And I've seen you in a lot less. Now, listen, we need to talk. I need some money freed up. Don't care where it comes from. Um, what for? I can't tell you. Well, why can't you tell me? If I can't tell you why I need the money, then I obviously can't tell you why I can't tell you. Well, why can't you tell me you can't tell me can't... Chuck, sometimes the CEO has to do things the rest of the office can't understand. And sometimes other people in the office, like the COO, just have to suck it up. Well, well, sometimes those other people in the office, like the COO, feel disrespected when the CEO tries to boss them around and keep them in the dark. And even if there was the money available, which there isn't, maybe the COO wouldn't give the CEO said money on sheer COO principle. Fine. By the way, I actually did see your socks, and they were weird. Ivan, please have a seat. Are we getting our bonuses early? Two Teslas, please. Make that four Teslas. No one is getting a Tesla. We're obviously joking, Lisa. Well, actually, I may buy a Tesla, but I was joking about the second one, I I think. Well, I need to manage your expectations a little bit then, because I spoke to Ms. Roven, and they've decided on a fixed 10% bonus (sighs) this year across the board. We got 20% last year. It was not my decision. I understand. Well... What does Jonathan think of all this? Well, Jonathan didn't have a comment. 
So we're all on the same page. Keep a cool face as the bonus announcements come out. Yeah. (sighs) Fine. 10% of annual salaries is uh, still pretty good. Good for those who don't have a Tesla-shaped hole in their hearts. Can I have everyone's attention for a moment, please? Our new bosses in Germany think everyone should know their value to the company. As a result, this year, every employee of pen and pencil will receive a bonus equal to 10% of their salary. Any questions? No? Great. Goodbye. Whoa, for real? Yes, yes. Congratulations. But there's really no need to get so excited. Jessica, can we go to a strip club to make it rain? I've never made it rain, and I want to make it rain. Call the weather guy from Channel 2, because you and I are going to Hustler Club after work and making so much rain. But wait, you're a gay man, and you're a straight woman. Everyone loves boobies. Make it rain. Make it rain. Hey, enough. It's not polite to gloat about your bonuses. You know some people make great sacrifices for your bonuses? Namely me. I got 20% last year, but this year I'm getting half, despite working just as hard. Even with my recent raise, my dreams of buying a boat this year are destroyed. You got a raise? For what? For my work on the HP and Dove campaigns. I brought them to the agency. I should get a raise. Why are you looking at me like that, Stacy? Oh my god! Hi, Chuck. Can I come in? Stacy! Oh, oh my God! Don't don't look at me! Don't ah, look okay, at okay. Me. I'm looking away. I'm looking away. What, what am I looking away from? I'm changing my socks. Uh, really? Lisa saw my last pair and made fun of them. It made me very self-conscious. Now you barge in and get an eyeful of this pair. I swear, it's like the whole office thinks I'm just here to put on some kind of Victoria's Secrets underwear show for them. Socks aren't underwear, Chuck. You wear socks under your shoes. Ergo, they are underwear. Whatever. Listen, I just came in to check on how much vacation time I have saved up. All right. Just let me bring up your file. So, where are you thinking about going? Camping? Cruise? Riding the rails? Ah, I miss those days. Chuck, honestly, I really don't have any plans. I was just wondering how much vacation time I had built up. Oh, well, a lot. Uh, Looks like three and a half months worth. Great! That's all I needed to know. Thank you. Hey, Lisa. Stacy was in my office asking about her vacation time. Yeah, I thought so, too. We'd better do something. I would guess it's worth about 10K. Why? Okay. Come here and we'll game plan. Just give me a moment to change my... Socks are underwear! Why is this so hard for everybody? Hey, I thought we should meet, you know, in private. Now's not a great time, Ivan. I don't understand. We're both getting a bonus. I'm not naive. I always assumed you made more than me because you're the creative director. Oh, and you're a dude. I should have never said anything in the meeting. Yeah, I'd be way better off if I stayed in the dark about getting screwed. It's not perfect, but it's how business has been done since the golden age of advertising. Golden age for whom, Ivan? Let me take you away from here. Let's go to our special place, the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. No, 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 no. No Bubba Gump, no Forrest Gump trivia. What, no Bubba Gump? Oh, that must mean... Please leave, Ivan. Well, now you're the one overreacting. Adrian, now you talk. Adrian, it's Lisa from PP. 
I'm sending back the frozen yogurt machine. I thought you Americans loved unlimited dairy products, but so be it. Excellent. And I suppose we could give the 10K that we're saving to an employee who's gone above and beyond this year? I suppose you could, but... You think we should? Well, that's your decision. You're the boss. This is Jonathan Penn. May enlightenment find you. Jonathan, I'm sorry to interrupt your meditation retreat. Oh, no. Don't worry about it, Lisa. The universe is exactly as it is. It could be no other way. Right. I'm calling to say that I tried to negotiate with the Germans about increasing Ivan's bonus, but they just wouldn't budge. Hmm. Well, that is disappointing. But everyone must learn to practice generosity on their own time. Oh, yeah. Very wise. Well, thank you very much for trying. We'll speak soon, I'm sure. Namaste. Oh, shit. Look at that bird. (sighs) Jackass. Stacy, Ivan, look, I know you're both upset. This bonus situation has been difficult for all of us, some more than others. Thank you, Lisa. She was clearly talking about me. Look, I'm sure Chuck spoke with you. I haven't made up my mind about anything. I'm just exploring options. We're not going to lose you, Stacy. Well, did you talk to the Germans? I did. And Jonathan? Yep. We're keeping the bonuses at a fixed 10%, but I was able to scrounge up a little extra money. For me? Thank you so much, Lisa. Wrong. Since you just got a raise, Ivan, it was decided that Stacy would get the bonus. That makes complete sense. Thank you, Lisa. That makes no sense. She's getting a bigger bonus than me? Sorry. Oh, wait. Not sorry. Inconceivable. I have to seriously reconsider my future at this company. Did he just try to storm out of the office? Yeah, but he forgot his bag in here, so now he's just waiting outside the door. Let's stay till 10 p.m. I have wine. Hey, gang, if you missed anything from today's show, don't forget you can tap the cover art and get all the episode notes. You'll also find our phone number and some great offers from our sponsors. If you want to support the show, you can go to casper.com, blueapron.com, ZipRecruiter.com, Audible.com, always slash boss. Slash boss. This episode was hosted by me, Liz Dolan, boss emeritus and satellite sister, and Larry Seal, CEO and founder of Engaged Leadership. The original theme song was composed by Martin Blanco. Audio engineering and design by Misha Stanton, special consultant Julia Smith. Produced by Cameron Cal, executive producer Jeffrey Glazer, created and executive produced by Hernan Lopez or Wondry. Remember, workplaces can feel crazy, but you don't have to. Mm-hmm.